Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, your host of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning podcast. Welcome back. Hope you had a good weekend. Maybe you're not catching this on Monday. Maybe you're listening on Tuesday because if you live in the continental United States, you, hey, Monday's typically a holiday and you don't have to work. So whenever you're listening to this, thank you for joining me. Because of the holiday weekend, I wanted to do a, a podcast that was, wasn't really time sensitive. There wasn't really any breaking news over the weekend. And so what I decided to do so I wanted to have Kevin Smith on. Yeah, Coach Smith, KT Smith, who you always hear with Brian Davis on the Here We Go Steelers show. And I wanted to talk with him about the inside linebacker position, but this really did evolve. The whole podcast evolved into something different. And it, it's like it's, it, to give you a summation, it's come for the inside linebacker talk, stay for the coaching clinic. Now, I don't have like the highest football IQ, uh, but there were times where I was like, okay, if I'm asking questions and the listeners, that they definitely probably want to know and have these same questions. So... I hope you take a listen to all of this podcast because it was really, really thoughtful stuff. I really enjoyed the conversation, so make sure you check it out. Also, a big shout-out to anyone that's serving in our our military, in the United States military. I know that Memorial Day is for the veterans that lost their lives for our country, and we do pay homage to them, but I don't want to wait until someone has to pass before I give them you know, my condolences. So in that regard, thank you very much to everyone that's out there who's serving in the military. My nephew is in the United States Marine Corps. So big thank you for that. In the meantime, folks, stay tuned. Coming right up after this break, myself, KT Smith, talking inside linebackers and this offense, defense, cat and mouse. Stay tuned. Be right back. Steeler fans, it is time for the Monday morning conversation and joining me, one of my favorite guests, Kevin Smith, Coach Smith. What's up, Coach? How's it going? Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you as always on a beautiful uh, Memorial Day weekend here. Yes. Great weather here. I don't know about where you are, but it's beautiful here. It's it's Monday. I don't know when a lot of people are listening to this. Maybe it's on Tuesday. That's fine. I wanted to have you on for a specific reason, and I, I was thinking about this. I think I wrote it in an article about how really the Steelers inside linebackers, this all kind of stemmed from, I did a series for uh, SB Nation with what is the biggest team need still remaining on the Steelers roster? It was predominantly the fans voted. I think I said outside linebacker, this was before the Steelers signed. I can't remember the guy's name, Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah, they before they signed Golden, but didn't matter. Inside linebacker was, by all metrics, the largest team need still available for the Steelers heading into the end of minicamp and then eventually training camp. And so I started thinking about it. They haven't filled that spot since 2017 when Ryan Shazier went down. Man, I wanted to talk with you about the changing of the inside linebacker position. You think back to some of the greats. You could go back to the 70s, even earlier, like Dick Butkus and all those guys. But even if you go to Zach Thomas, with the Miami Dolphins, even when you played in college, probably. How has the inside linebacker position changed in the National Football League in even the last 10 years? It's the evolution of it because there's this sort of cat and mouse game between offenses and defenses. And when, when one changes, the other changes accordingly. And 
most recently had the biggest change. The by ditching the fullback, um, all those teams that based out of twenty-one personnel for decades, where you had a, two two backs and one of them was predominantly a fullback, a tight end and two receivers, that went went out of vogue about 15 years ago and offenses replaced that fullback with a third wide receiver. And now they, they opened up the field and they really made defenses defend it horizontally. That's what the third receiver did is it just sort of stretched the defense more sideline to sideline. And that obviously changed the nature of the linebacker position, because if all you had were downhill guys as Steelers fans, we probably think like LeVon Kirkland, right? If you had your LeVon Kirkland as your inside backer, that third receiver on the field from an offense was going to expose him somehow in the passing game. And uh, maybe you could leave LeVon Kirkland in the box, uh, but it, but if you had two LeVon Kirklands, now you had a, a big problem. So you needed a linebacker who could run sideline to sideline. And with the third receiver came the outside zone play, which wasn't a big play before that. A teams ran power, and when they ran sweep, it wasn't really like a true get-to-the-edge sweep. It was it was kind of like the buck sweep, which was really hitting up in the C-gap. So again, linebackers could fill from tackle to tackle, and then you could let the safeties do the rest. But that's just not, not the game anymore, uh, and, and linebackers have had to become much more athletic as a result. Was Ryan Shazier, in your opinion, like was he the epitome of what not just the Steelers, but a modern day inside linebacker can and is willing to do. Yeah, he's absolutely the prototype because you can leave him in the box to defend the run as your off ball linebacker. So your backside guy, if a team sets the strength of their formation to the right, let's say they put the tight end to the right, you can still have what the Steelers call a buck linebacker, uh, which is the easiest way to remember buck for those of you who, who know the Steelers terminology, they have a buck and a Mac, which is which think of it like this, the bucks, the banger. That's the way that I always think about it is the, the B right. The bucks, the banger. He's the guy, he's Vince Williams. He's the downhill uh, guy. Who's going to take on the run at the point of attack and the athletic guys, the Mac, that's your off ball backer. And, and Shazier could be your Mac linebacker uh, and could fill sideline to sideline. But at the same time, he could, run vertically with tight ends. He could cover backs out of the backfield. You could even bump him into the slot if you had to. And so when he went, I think the Steelers thought they had in drafting him an answer to some of the complex problems that offenses presented in terms of matchups. And when he went down, they searched for years to try to replace him. Look at some of the guys that they brought in, Mark Barron, Avery Williamson, Joe Schobert. They were all supposed to be Mac type backers and none of them could really do what Shazier did and it's interesting what the Steelers did this year is they totally went away from that they just said all right forget it we're not we can't find Shazier let's find two bigger more physical guys uh so it's going to be really interesting to look at how the Steelers try to solve some of the complex problems that offenses present without a Shazier type linebacker if you look at Devin Bush coming out of college we know how it ended, but in, at least in Pittsburgh, and we know the injuries impact. But was he was he that guy, or do you think he had limitations? Unlike Shazier, who kind of had the size, the speed, the length, all that stuff. I think you're you're going to always have to put an asterisk next to Devin Bush's name because of the knee injury. He looked pretty good his first. Well, I mean, he struggled a little bit his rookie year, like many rookies do. But his second year, I think he only made it about six games before he hurt the knee. Yeah. But his his those first six games, he looked pretty darn good. He looked like the guy that everybody thought the Steelers were getting. 
And afterwards, not even close. It's incredible what that injury did to him. I think mentally, I've always made the argument that Devin Bush mentally just never got back to where he needed to be. But yeah, I think when the Steelers traded up for him, they really thought that they were getting a Ryan Shazier. And I don't think he was ever going to be Shazier, but I think he was going to be the closest thing the Steelers had had before that injury. So let's let you brought it up. Let's talk about this group they have now. They abandoned the we're going to try to replace what Shazier did. And now they have, as of right now, three inside linebackers predominantly Cole Holcomb, Landon Roberts, and Mark Robinson, none of which bring that athleticism to the, the plate. Although Holcomb, I think he's underrated in terms of athleticism because I think he is a, a pretty decent athlete, but still. Is this going to be able to work? And if they if it's if they're going outside the box, what do you think in your expert opinion they're trying to do that's going to make this work? That's a great question. You know the Steelers have a plan. The one thing we've yeah. learned from Omar Khan is that uh is that they they have specific targets and needs and and they're doing things not because it's a game of musical chairs and the music stopped and they found themselves without a chair and they had to you know, figure something else out. They they seem to really be targeting people for specific reasons. So whatever they're going to do scheme-wise, and I'm fascinated to see it. I can't wait. But whatever they're going to do scheme-wise with Roberts and Holcomb is going to have to involve an athletic nickel or third safety or somebody in the Terrell Edmonds-type mode who they can pair with those guys because Roberts is really a downhill player. I mean, he does not have a lot of sideline to sideline mobility and you're and you're right Holcomb does to a degree but he's certainly not in the Shazier mold he's he's as good uh, as a downhill player as he is a sideline to sideline player and Mark Robinson I mean he he's super exciting to watch him play the run but yes really struggles to play the pass so what are they doing to compensate how are they going to cover 11 personnel sets when when offenses have a really good talented slot receiver the DeMonte Kazee signing I think was huge because it allows him to really be the back end guy so my suspicion is you're going to see a lot more of Mika Fitzpatrick in the box because he was really good at it last year when he did play there and and I don't mean like you're going to see him there pre-snap I think the Steelers are going to line up in a lot of cover two shell or quarters you know when you quarters you're, you're looking across the secondary and you see the corner and both safeties uh, lined up predominantly at the same level. They're all around six to eight yards off the ball. Cover two, the safeties are lined up deeper at about 10, 10 to 12, and the corners are sitting at four. You can usually see the difference between cover two and, and cover four. But I think the Steelers will base out of those two shells a lot, and then they're going to move Mika Fitzpatrick an awful lot. I think he's, I don't think he's going to end up where he started very often. In that sense, I'm not saying they're going to do the Troy Polamalu thing, but I think they'll use him a little more in that role as a, a way to solve some of their issues. So outside of Minka, which we know what a chess piece he is and versatility is huge with him. What are some of the options that the Steelers have in terms of filling that, you know, you need that athletic guy on the current roster. You know, you've heard rumors of Patrick Peterson moving into the slot. I don't think, I don't know if he's the answer there is someone like Tanner Muse who was acquired, who at Clemson played, like a safety linebacker hybrid. Now he hasn't really done that in the NFL. I'm just throwing out names here. Uh, another, you know, other options, Keanu Neal, he's not best in coverage. That's something Terrell Edmonds excelled at, but he doesn't. Is there anyone else outside of Minka Fitzpatrick that you see on the current Steelers roster that you say, you know what? Like you said, 
the Steelers don't do things just because they're filling spots. They have a purpose. They have a role. Is there anyone out there that you think maybe no one's thinking about this guy and he could have a significant role in this defense? Well, they had a ton of success last year with that three safety package when all three of those guys were healthy. And I think you'll see them try to replicate it a little bit with Ken O'Neill. I like him more than some people do. I, I like him as a box safety in a limited role. I think he's physical and I think he's smart and you can do a lot with a guy like that. Uh, I don't know about Tanner Muse. I mean, he, he just has, has been predominantly a special teamer. I wouldn't put a whole right. lot of stock in him, even though he kind of fits the, the prototype a little bit. The big thing is going to be this. Teams are going to look at who the Steelers put on the field and they're going to try to attack it accordingly. If you're the Bengals, for example, and you've got really talented wideouts, uh, are you going to, when Keanu Neal comes on the field and he's rolled up in the slot, are you going to target him and attack him? Or are you going to do things like line up in a, in a traditional, let's say three wide receiver set. Now motion your running back out to an empty set in order to try to isolate Holcomb or Roberts. Are you going to put Joe Mixon in space against, a Landon Roberts, if you can get that. I mean, if I'm an offense, that's how I'm going to attack the Steelers. I'm going to say, all right, how do we isolate their uh, extra defender, their extra pass defender in space? And the Steelers must feel confident that, that they have answers to the, those problems because they have, to this point, not said, they haven't made a move that says, oh, we we're, we recognize that we have a weakness in that area. And instead, they seem to have said, we feel comfortable being able to address those problems. You know, they're aware of them. You know, they're aware yeah. that like, Hey, offense is going to try to isolate uh, these guys in space. They must feel confident that the, that those guys can hold up. Think back to this past draft class. And we, we know how the Steelers played their cards. We all agreed that they did a tremendous job. Are there any, the inside linebackers coming into the NFL, are they, I guess this is a tough way for me to ask this. Are they really NFL model players at the position or has it become very scheme specific? You talk about this with cornerbacks. I've heard you on the here we go Steelers show as well as on your call sheet, how some guys are just their slot cornerbacks and then there's outside cornerbacks and or, or is inside linebacker becoming a very niche position as well in terms of I'm a coverage linebacker. I'm a downhill buck linebacker. Like what, what are your thoughts on these players coming out of college? What's that looking like? No, that's a great question because a lot of it is scheme specific. You're right. Like you look at the Steelers, the Steelers, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the last time or if they've ever drafted a defender from TCU, for example. Yeah. And, and I think the reason is because TCU was one of the first colleges to go to the three, three. The, the three stack was an answer to the spread offense and the three stack basically was taking big linebackers and making them defensive ends, big safeties and making them linebackers. It was all an effort to get speed on the field. And so, so when you look at those TCU linebackers, they, those guys can really run, but then you bring them to the NFL and they're almost like they don't have a position because you can't get by at, at 220 pounds at the linebacker level in the NFL because teams are going to find a way like we were just talking about with slot guys to isolate you. So, so there are a lot of colleges that are building their defense and recruiting their personnel at, to, to marry up to the problems that they're getting from offenses. Like for example, if you're a big 12 defense, you got to match speed and space and your linebackers have to be able to do that because if your linebackers can't, then you're exposed. So, 
I think there's there and there's still very, uh, based on the defensive principles that they installed under Dick LeBeau. You have a buck, you have a Mac, they have roles. They need to be more flexible and diverse than they've been in the past, but they're still kind of rooted in that. So they look for NFL systems with college backers. That's why they recruit a lot of Big Ten guys and they recruit a lot of SEC guys because those guys play pro-style defenses. Something you talked about, your call sheet podcast, which I always want to bring up because I really do enjoy every episode that you do. You most recently did your last week's call sheet podcast, which, by the way, if anyone's listening to this and they want to know how they can find it, go to the FFSN NFL feed. Just literally go wherever you get your podcast, search that FFSN NFL. That's all you got to do, and you'll find it. And it comes out every typically Wednesday or Thursday, depending on if there's a topic or an event coming up. But nonetheless, you talked about the running game. Jim Brown was your topic last week, and you did mention how things are cyclical, meaning that yeah, there's not a fullback as much anymore, but some of the old style running concepts are starting to return. Do you see that as also something that could happen? You say you bring up the cat and mouse aspect of offense versus defense. Do you think that's something that could also change the way like a position like the inside linebacker is viewed as offenses become more, I don't know, run heavy is not the term because if anything, it's the opposite. But you look at some of the schemes that like the Baltimore Ravens did back with, well, in their old with their old offensive coordinator, uh, with running, you know, RPOs and Lamar Jackson, is there still a need, or could you see the need for that downhill banger still being predominant, or do you just see this constant evolution of pass happy offense changing the way the NFL defense is for the foreseeable future? No, I definitely think it's cyclical, and I think you're going to see a return from offenses to big personnel, like you're seeing in San Francisco, Tennessee. You mentioned Baltimore. The Rams run a lot of 12 personnel. Those are all teams that have had a lot of success in recent years because when offenses went to 11 personnel and spread the field, defenses countered by going to their sub packages, getting a linebacker off the field sometimes, bringing in a safety. I played safety in college back in the day when everybody was 12 and 21 personnel. Everybody was running the ball. The whole entire game was being played between the hashes. And I, I was never playing too high safety. I was always rolled up in the box. But I, I was not – I couldn't run great. I was not a, a burner. I was more suited for that. To, in today's game, right, bringing that safety down, that Keanu Neal type, let's say he's, let's say he's the NFL equivalent, uh, inevitably offenses will look at that guy and say, let's see if we can isolate him in space. Well, the defense has replaced a Keanu Neal with a, with a box safety who can run. What's the offensive move? Let's put a tight end on the field, All right? And now let's see if we can exploit that that uh, safety as a run defender. So I absolutely think that you're seeing a return to some of the more power-heavy principles because defenses have been building themselves to counter the spread game now for the better part of a decade. Look at the value of tight ends over the last five, six years. Everybody now wants uh, a Travis Kelsey type. Everybody, everybody wants the quote-unquote move tight end. Because with those guys, you you can do uh, whatever the defense allows you to do in terms of your personnel matchup. So I don't know if it's a scheme question so much as a personnel question. You you put these guys on the field, we're putting those guys on the field. Oh, you put those guys on the field? Now we're coming back with yeah. this move. And look what the Steelers have done with their at their tight end position. I mean, they are built right now. They're the Steelers are probably better. I don't want to say so. I don't know if this is true. I was about to say the Steelers could be better with three tight ends on the field than with three wide receivers, but they're certainly going to base out of 12 personnel. 
Uh, and the reason they're going to do that is because of the style of football they want to play. Well, that's my next question. I know this is a defensive podcast, but my mind just as you start to talk and I'm thinking about things as a fan perspective and what most people might be listening to my show and wondering, you bring up San Francisco, you bring up Baltimore, these teams, you even brought up the Rams. They want to be physical. They want to run the football. At the season's end, do you think the Steelers would be at least in the discussion of the teams that want to do that, whether they're successful or not? Well, that's to be determined. But in terms of what they've done this past offseason on the offensive side, you're talking about wanting to exploit the defenses that have those lighter packages on the field. Are the Steelers going to be a team that just wants to run it right down your throat and it's going to be, hey, we're going to do it until you stop it? I think in a perfect world, the Steelers want to be a team to to use those tight ends to create mismatches. And whether that means run it down your throat or use the play action game and the athleticism of uh, guys like Fryermuth and Darnell Washington, then then they'll do that. I mean, the way the way you call a game as a coach is so much predicated upon personnel. So so before a play is even called, you've got a guy with eyes on the opposing sideline. And you've used this, let's say the Steelers send Darnell Washington onto the field. Well, the defense is is looking at who's coming off Pittsburgh's sideline, and they're going and they're saying 80s on the field, 80s on the field. And that automatically triggers a personnel response from the defense. So who do you send onto the field? Right. So if I'm Matt Cannon and I send Darnell Washington onto the field, my eyes are on the opposing sideline. All right. Is, is 54 a linebacker? Is he coming on the field? Okay. So now that linebacker, who's he replacing? They're bringing a safety out. All right. Good. So now I got a, I got a linebacker on and a safety off. How am I going to use, use that information to guide my play call? Right. Maybe I like Pat Fryermuth in the slot because I think that linebacker is going to have to go cover him as a result. So that's the game the Steelers are are really kind of building towards. I think that they're going to try to just create matchup uh, problems for teams because I think that they feel in their system right now with Kenny Pickett at quarterback, the way to do it is with the big personnel and not speed personnel. Because if it's speed personnel, you got to have a quarterback who can beat those coverages. And I don't think that they feel like they have that just yet. Okay, this is fascinating to me. So uh, let's let's back it up and let's kind of s- switch gears here because you were kind of outlining how coaches have to assess the situation on the field. And if I'm asking questions, I guarantee my listeners are going to have questions about this. So if you're the offensive coordinator, which is something you have done in your coaching uh, past, if I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the substitution rules in the NFL – Correct me if I'm wrong. If the if the offense decides to substitute, you have to permit the defense to substitute as well, correct? Correct. But if you don't, you keep your personnel on the field, the defense, hey, we can run it as will. They they chose to substitute. That's when you get people with too many men on the field. Peyton Manning used to do that. That's all correct, right? My assessment yep. there? Go as fast as you want without subbing. Okay, so you decide to substitute. You have... You, you do have coaches that are kind of like spotters up there. Yep. But you're looking at your packages that you want to run. You So this is all like how much time? You're, you're talking a minute, two minutes? Like how much time do you have to process all this stuff? About eight seconds. That's how much time. <laughs> seriously. That's a, seriously about how much time. In, in the pros, you have a little bit more because you have the radio contact with the quarterback. Okay. You can talk right into his helmet and you have a, and, and they shut it down at 14 seconds. So you can tell the quarterback in the NFL, hey, look, 54 is coming in off the opposing sideline. We're going to run Y stick, right? Y sticks just like right. an option route. Uh, read off of 54, whoever 54 is covering, man, read off of that play off of that. 
And that's a great advantage that you have as an offensive coordinator because you're kind of dictating the play call. Now, 54 might come onto the field uh, and then you, and you called why stick and then they dropped the safety down and they got, and they, and they brought like 54 to the edge. And now you see it's a blitz. And now the, now the safety's covering the guy that you want to run the stick route and the quarterback may have to change his read on the fly because of that, but you can at least guide that guy through the process it, you know, as they come to the line of scrimmage or as they break the huddle. In high school, it's different. It's got to be so much faster because you don't have that communication. You're just essentially saying, all right, I did this, they did that, here's my play call, let's go. So, okay, so you're always having to think, like, how, how many terms of, in terms of plays and packages, you're having to think ahead uh, yeah. when it comes to the play calling and the, the packages that you have out there. Exactly as an offensive coordinator, because this makes me appreciate any offensive coordinator. Yes, even Matt Canada Steelers fans. A lot of fans mm-hmm. just like to rip the guy until they can't anymore. Like, this isn't an easy job. So you put out 12 personnel, the play's successful. What is it? You know, you're already thinking before the plays run about what you're running next. Do you have like a couple options in your head? What walk me through the thought process as a coach when it comes to the offensive coordinator stuff? And how you're thinking about, okay, what do I do if this is successful, not, et cetera? Like, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes in this case. Right. So what you're doing is you're saying, all right, let's say we're, we're 12 personnel. I have two tight ends on the field. They they tried to match it by bringing a safety down into the box. They didn't really change their personnel. We ran the ball at them. We made five yards because we're just a little, we're bigger than them. We have our bigger personnel in run it again, right? That's where you sort of, you sort of start to think about that or, or, or they recognize that they're now outmanned. And so now what do they do? They substitute. Okay. They brought on a linebacker. They took off a safety. Uh, Let's go play action because they're going to be aggressive, right? You're, you're inevitably thinking what is going to be my counter move to their adjustment. They're going to adjust. If they don't adjust, just keep doing what you're doing. So, some teams don't adjust. It, one of the one of the hardest things as an offensive coordinator is to not outthink yourself because you're always anticipating a, uh, an adjustment. And and sometimes you say, "Hey, this is working, but I got to get out of this because they're going to make a move to stop it." And you and you actually like preempt yourself by uh, by anticipating an adjustment that never comes. Sometimes there's a reason why teams don't adjust. Like they just they feel like man, this is the best that we got right now. And, and you might not know that. You may, you may not know that the guy that they would bring on or that you're anticipating that they're going to bring on is somebody that they're really uncomfortable putting on the field. So, so sticking with what's working is one thing. And then the other thing, of course, is, right, when you when, – again, it's all about, like, moving pieces. When, when they bring this guy on, you know that what the reason that they're bringing that guy on is. And so you're, you have to have a plan to exploit that individual. The, the toughest thing for – I think a lot of offensive coordinators is handling the blitz and protecting stuff. I think that when, when NFL defensive coordinators feel as though they're on their backs are against the wall, they're on their heels a little bit. They, they bring pressure to bring pressure, bring pressure because it makes offenses adjust their blocking schemes. And it's so much easier to uh, create confusion with motion and stuff by an offense than it is to have to adjust a blocking scheme. The good offenses really say, hey, let's not put in a new scheme. Let's put in a new wrinkle, which means I don't want to change the blocking scheme. The, the, the linemen are doing a really good job executing that. I want to show them a new formation or a new motion or just some smoke and mirrors. And when teams start blitzing, you have to adjust your blocking assignments. 
And the really good offense coordinators are the ones that have answers for the blitz. If you can block the blitz, there ain't a whole lot of defense can do. Now, have you ever called defensive plays? I, I've never been a defense coordinator, no. Okay. I've, I coached, I played defense, I coached defense for a long time, I've never been a coordinator. Okay. It's, but it's funny though, I, it, the, <laughs> the relationship between offensive and defensive coordinators is like, uh, it's like sibling rivalry, you know? <laughs> so, and everybody thinks that they're the genius. Like it's like a, it's like a contest to see who can have like the marker in their hand last on the whiteboard. Um, if it doesn't work out like that on the field though, <laughs> you know, like the whiteboard never, it never comes out on the field. Like it comes out on the whiteboard. Well, we talked a lot about cyclical nature. Let's bring it back to the defensive side and just get your coaching expert expertise is you mentioned blitzing being one way a defensive coordinator can take it to the offensive side of the ball. There's gotta be other ways of doing that. Well, what, what are some of the ways that a defensive coordinator, whether it's through what, who he puts on the field, how they implement a certain defense, how can they say, you know what, we're not just going to have to constantly be chasing, you know, cat and mouse. We want to actually take it to them. I mean, you saw Dick LeBeau do this with his revolutionary zone blitz schemes and stuff like that. What exactly can a defensive coordinator do to say, you know, we're going to take it to them outside of blitzing? Cause you already mentioned that. Right. So a lot of times you hear defensive coordinators talk about being offensive with their defense, which essentially means this, you're going to flip the script for how it usually works. It usually works like this. The offense lines up like, you know, like a, and then the defense matches it. Defenses are constantly reacting to what offenses do. And a lot of coordinators will say, you know, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to be the ones dictating the terms, making the offense adjust. Blitz is one way coverage disguise is another one of the things one of the things that's really effective for defenses and that you're seeing just about everybody in the league do now is they show the offense one thing pre-snap and then they rotate to something else post-snap and that is really challenging for for the quarterbacks the number of it's it's challenging for me breaking down film and writing articles because I'm like okay this is cover 2 and so now I can talk about how this is going to work. And then the ball snap and there's dudes moving everywhere. And a lot of times I don't even know what they're doing. You know, like it's stuff I haven't even seen before. They're, go they're going to hybrids. There's like one side of the field's playing man and other side of the field's playing zone. Or you're going from a cover two look into cover six, which is a combined cover two and cover four. It's everything that you could possibly think of. And defenses have gotten so good at bluffing and disguising it that it makes life miserable for quarterbacks. And that's why I think the Steelers want to take some of that off Kenny Pickett's plate. They definitely did it last year, super conservative last year with their play calling. But I think they'll do it this year with trying to be a, a run first team because it minimizes his thought process. Very good stuff, as always. Uh, so hopefully you came for the inside linebacker talk and stayed for the coaching clinic. I enjoy <laughs> it every single time because I don't know much about it. Like my, I have no coaching experience in the game of football. So this is always great stuff, as always. But uh, Kevin, go ahead and you do have a Twitter account now that people can follow you. So tell them where they can find you on social media. You do put out some really good video stuff and clips on how NFL teams are doing things. Tell them where they can find you there. And also, if you have a prequel of what you're working on for the website this week, that would be great, too. Sure. Uh, Twitter's at KT Smith, FFSN. And, uh, yeah, we're putting up just some things with video clips of X and O's, how stuff works. And and just looking at, like, hey, here's what here's a play that, you know, here's a, here's a line stunt that the Dolphins ran that we think is really interesting. And we'll do a quick breakdown on it. Call sheet this week, I'm going to have a defensive coordinator on. And we're going to talk about how to defend the RPO game, which uh, every every defensive coordinator in the world believes is is cheating. 
because of what they're <laughs> allowing the offensive linemen to do. But we were having that conversation about Jim Brown and the evolution of the running back game on last week's call sheet. And we and we kind of left off with where we are in the NFL on offense right now. And one of the biggest things, obviously, on offense is figuring out uh, how to defend the RPO or on defense, I should say. So that'll be our conversation. That's great stuff. I look forward to it, Kevin. As always, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work, man. You too, Jeff. Thank you very right. much. No problem. All right. And a big thank you to Kevin Smith. Really do appreciate it. Look, before we finish this up, I want to say that this was a hol- this was a holiday weekend for me, obviously with a three-day weekend, but it was also a birthday weekend. My old, my second oldest daughter, Ellie, turned 10. Double-digit midget. Can't believe it. We only have two kids left in the single digits. It's really hard for me to fathom. Also, though, my wife, she's going to kill me for saying this, but she doesn't listen, so it's, it's fine. Today, Memorial Day, she actually had her 40th birthday. So she joins me in the 40 Club. Uh, excited to have her. Just really, really thankful to have her. I'll put it that way. So for the Hartman women, girl, woman in the house, happy birthday to you. Love you both very much, more than you ever know. And so, hey, folks listening, you know what to do on Tuesday when I put out the tweet saying, hey, I need questions for the mailbag. Follow through. I'll answer those on Wednesday. In the meantime, you know how we finish it out here. Be safe, be kind, and God bless.